Nation. Happy Thursday night to you. This is Cover 4 Live. My name is Brandon Adams. Happy to have Jeff Sintel, Connor Riley, Jeff, uh, Mike Griffin. I said Jeff Sintel twice. I guess I'm doubly excited to see Jeff here this evening. But happy to have the entire Dog Nation team on hand. Really looking forward to the Deep South's oldest rivalry on Saturday between Georgia and Auburn. We'll talk a lot about that game. I think in a couple of minutes here, we're actually going to almost give the opposite of rat poison. For those who feel like the Georgia defense has gotten too much praise as of late, or maybe Georgia as arguably the premier team in the country thus far this season has just been hyped up too much. We'll do the opposite of that later on tonight and talk about some of the things that could go wrong for Georgia against Auburn. We'll be on guard against anything that might go down there. I see Mike's got his tee ready to go, so that means he's going to be in a rare form tonight. Looking forward to that. Let's begin with this, though. That on Saturday, Georgia will finish its sixth regular season game, which means it'll be at the halfway point of the regular season. Maybe an appropriate topic for next week, but we'll do it a week early here. Through five games, you can certainly make a case for a lot of players as Georgia's most important thus far. But, Jeff Sintel, if I were to ask you, who do you think Georgia's MVP through five games is, uh, who would you say? Yeah, that's one of those that takes your mind in a lot of places. And I know my panel will like, Jeff, don't say that guy, but – because that might be my guy. guy. Jeff. Got to be an What's offensive that? guy. <laughs> Got to be an offensive guy. <clears throat> oh, man, man I, I hate to say this. I don't hate to say this, but <clears throat> I think I'm think i I'm gonna just bust out of the normal vernacular. The, the overall team MVP, I feel. And the category is correct, Brandon. We're talking overall team MVP. Overall not. team MVP. I think it's more interesting to only pick one as opposed to picking one on both sides of the ball. It's more interesting just to, just to name one. I just need to say his name, and there's nothing else I need to say. It's Jordan Davis. Yeah, I think there's a pretty strong case to be made for Davis here. He's not the only name worth mentioning, but, boy, when you think about the success that Georgia's had along its defensive line, the role that he's played in keying all of that, he's obviously been a big part of that. He's – had two sacks in the closest game that Georgia played all season long against Clemson there as well. So that's part of this too. Uh, Mike, I guess I'd love to hear your thoughts on Davis and then you can take it the conversation anywhere you want with your own name. Yeah, you know, great team leader. Um, they could be undefeated without him. I'm going to go with Brock Bowers. I mean, he's the guy that, that they needed to catch passes the whole year. I mean, they don't beat Clemson without Brock Bowers. Uh, he's been the most consistent pass catcher. Do I think he'll be the MVP at the end of the year? No. Uh, but when I think about the most consistent force in the pass game, regardless of who's playing quarterback, the go-to receiver, uh, again, the juice, when nothing else was working against Clemson, it, it was Brock Bowers. And through five games, now again, he's not going to be the guy at the end of the year. But if you're asking me the guy that's been the most valuable through five games, that um, irreplaceable, through five games, it'd be that kid. I'm going to give him credit. He's been amazing through five games. I don't hate that answer at all. I really don't. And I, I think that it's not what I was thinking. I was thinking more along the lines of what Jeff said with Jordan Davis. But I think there's a really strong case to be made for Brock Bowers. In fact, Mike, I'm going to take it, a, I guess, a step further. Since you say that you don't think that'll be true over the course of the next seven games, the way that it was over the course of the first five, other than the fact that you know it wasn't a big part of the game plan, at least when it comes to catching the football against Arkansas, why do you think his numbers might regress? Because through the four games prior to Arkansas, I mean, he's the most prolific receiver of the smart era over the course of that four-game span. So so why do you think there's going to be a numeric regression for him if he's your MVP through five games? 
Well, it's not necessarily that Brock's going to regress. It's that other players are evolving. I mean, you know, Lad McConkey is a legit receiver. Kiaris Jackson is healthy. Jermaine Burton, Burton is getting healthier. Darnell Washington now plugged into the offense. So it's not that Brock's going backwards at all. It's that the other weapons, I hope Marcus Roseme Jack Saint is healthy. Kirby said he was the most likely receiver to return. Somebody told me Arian Smith only played 20 snaps in his career at tennis or at Georgia. That just blows my mind. But uh, it'd be great if he ever got back. Blaylock didn't look good running. I don't know if we'll even see him uh, anytime soon. But but it's because BA that other receivers are evolving in the offense. And uh, but yeah, what Brock did at the start of this year, I I couldn't have seen. I, I thought he'd be the number two pass catcher this year. He might still end up with the most number of catches. I just think that. You know, other guys are going to evolve. There's going to be a close game sooner or later, right? There's right. going to somebody is going to is going to punch Georgia in the mouth sooner or later. Somebody is going to take him into the fourth quarter again. I don't know who that is, and somebody's going to come up with a big play. Could be Nicobe Dean, could be Devontae Wyatt, could be Jalen Carter, uh, could be Darren Kendrick. Who knows? There's a lot of potential uh, MVPs out there still. What do you think, Connor? We've heard an offensive name, a defensive name. Uh, do you have a, a different name than what we've heard thus far? The right answer here is Jordan Davis. He makes opposing teams one-dimensional. He completely takes away the running game. Now, if you want to say he doesn't play on third down a whole lot and that should hurt his case, I I see that. But I think Jordan Davis has unquestionably been the most valuable, especially with the way that this Georgia team has won so far this season. But if I had to give another name – uh, I'd go to Kobe Dean. This is a guy who does play all three downs. So if you're looking to add that to the mantle there, he's got three and a half sacks. He plays sideline to sideline. He does everything. He's making all the calls in this defense. And while Jordan Davis is exceptional at what he does, having a Kobe Dean right behind him is another luxury for this Georgia team. So I would go Davis, my number one candidate, uh, Nicobe Dean, my number two. And I think at Mike's point there, Brock Bowers through five games right now is probably your number three. Yeah, kind of this is one of the things I talked about on Dog Nation Daily today. You know, Kirby Smart going back to, I think it was Monday, said, you know, this is a defense right now without a superstar. And I said, you know, there's two different ways to not have a superstar. You can be like some of the Atlanta Hawks teams I've endured in my lifetime that you look around, you're like, wow, there's no superstar here. Or you can be like the 92 Dream Team where everybody's a superstar and therefore it sort of seems like there's no superstar because everyone's, you know, at, at that level. And, you know, right now when you think about Dean, when you think about Davis, when you think about – you know, obviously Adam Anderson, or you could mention Devontae Wyatt, who I think has played at kind of a almost superstar level thus far this season. Um, you know, there's so many names in that defense that you could mention, but it's pretty clear that Nicobe Dean is playing at a top shelf level. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I yeah. just want to interject one thing, Connor. No, Jordan was the only first team preseason all CC guy. Yeah, so I, that's not going to be the case at the end of the season. I think you're going to see it, at least Jordan, at least Adam Anderson, though. The thing that stinks for Georgia is they play a, a sort of a, a weird 3-3-5, 4-2-5, whatever you want to call it. And so, like, Adam Anderson and Kobe Dean are going to have to make it as linebackers. And so, because of the way they do that, it's extremely difficult. I'm not a fan of the way they set up these all-SEC teams. It should blow them up, quite frankly. But another guy that's getting mentioned in the comments, Chris Smith has been outstanding as a playmaker mm-hmm. in the secondary. I believe two interceptions this year. Had the game's only touchdown against Clemson, you know, with Richard LeCount leaving last year. I think one of the things they missed sort of in the second half of the year when he was injured was where does that playmaking come from? And I think through the first five games of the season, both Chris Smith and Lewis Seen have provided some of that secondary, some playmaking ability back there, at least when the games are still competitive. You know, Jeff, a moment ago, Mike said that, hey, 
you know, Georgia could be undefeated through five games without Jordan Davis. And through these five games, they probably could, although he played a huge role in the Clemson game. Scary to think how that game might have gone had he not been playing. But still, generally speaking, that's correct. Georgia's blown out every game uh, since then. They didn't need Davis to do that. But if you told me I could wave a magic wand right now as a fan of this team, I could wave a magic wand and have a guy be healthy and contributing for the next seven regular season games into the month of December, Davis might be the guy I'd wave that wand over because while Georgia is incredibly deep defensively and specifically deep on its defensive line, there's still nobody else. Apologies to Zion Lowe. There's still nobody else who really does the things that Jordan Davis does, and he does more now than he's ever done before. That's the one guy, if I could just wish health on anybody, I believe Davis might get that, and – I think I'm including the quarterback in that conversation there. Wait, as well. wait a minute. You're saying you'd rather have Jordan Davis in the SEC championship game than JT Daniels. Let me say it this way, Mike, and I'll see if I can work up the courage to say that. That's this. a win for Mike there. <laughs> no, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to work my way. I'm going to see if I can work my way up for this. I'd rather have Jordan Davis than JT Daniels against Florida, but against Alabama, no, you probably want Daniels. That, that's probably true. But – um, I think Davis, because of the role that he fills, I think that he is almost as important as quarterback. And there are some games that Georgia might play where being without Davis would be more difficult than being without uh, the quarterback. Although against Alabama, it's probably fair to say the quarterback's the guy you want. I almost wanted to make the case for like the really aggressive point. And in this particular case, I just don't quite have the guts to make the case. But let me let uh, Jeff jump in there. Connor, you can get in after that. Fellas, if we're waving a magic wand and making somebody healthy for the for the Alabama game, we're, we're waving that magic wand over George Pickens, man. That's what we're doing. Let, let's while we're in the theater of the crazy here, no. you're going to wave the wave the wand and make no. sure George Pickens is healthy for that game. No. Uh, if you're waving the wand, it, as Mike points out, it's for JT Daniels. You know, George Pickens is nice, but if Stetson Bennett is throwing him the football like we saw last year against Alabama when they played in Tuscaloosa, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure it's going to make much of a difference there that day. Kiaris Jackson is the only one that might argue this point. Kiaris went from about 10 targets a game with Stetson to like three with JT. Yeah, Kiaris may have a Stetson Bennett poster in his wall. Stetson fed Kiaris last year. He fed him very well. So, all right, so let's build to this then. Uh, It seems like this is the obvious point where it's going. We'll do more quarterback stuff before the show is done today. Georgia has a chance to play 10 more games starting this Saturday does JT Daniels have to be the MVP of those next 10 for Georgia to be the national champion? In other words, if a player other than Daniels is the MVP of the next 10, does that mean that Georgia then has fallen short of winning its national championship? Because while I just made a huge case for Jordan Davis, you are not going to stop the run on your way to a national championship. You know, you're going to have to throw your way uh, to get there. Does Daniels have to be the MVP the rest of the way? Cause he's not the MVP of the first five games. Does he have to be the MVP of the next 10 in order for Georgia to win the national championship, anybody wants it. I'll say he doesn't have to, but he needs to be in like the top five and preferably the top three if you're doing MVP voting. I think, you know, you can have enough guys on this defense make plays. I think you saw in the Rose Bowl, you know, if, if Nicobe is capable of a Roquan Smith performance, if Adam Anderson is capable of, of wrecking a game there. And JT doesn't need to be the best player when they play Alabama, when they play in potentially those two college football playoff games. But they need him to play well in those games, I think, for Georgia to get to that 15th game and perhaps most importantly, more than any other program in the country, win that 15th game. Yeah, I, was on a, ahead, I was on a talk show in Huntsville about an hour and a half ago, and I was talking with a guy by the name of Wes Neighbors that played in Alabama a long time ago. And he's, he's a great football mind, but his comment was, 
what makes JT Daniels so great? I don't see it. And the analogy I came up with, and I wasn't necessarily thinking of Jeff's car, but I said, it's kind of like a BMW suspension. You can't really see what's going to make a BMW a great driving car. You just know when you're in one, how it handles. And this Georgia offense handles differently when JT Daniels is behind the wheel and at the throttle. The, the things work better. He sees the field better. He gets the team in better plays. He throws a really he has tremendous arm talent. He puts the ball exactly where it needs to be catchable. He throws the nice, what we call 50-50, he calls 80-20. Very catchable ball downfield. His comment, he'll never overthrow an open receiver. He sees many quarterbacks do that. I mean, the guy has a Manning-esque cerebral nature at the line of scrimmage. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be a five-time NFL MVP. You know, I, I don't even know if he'll be an NFL starting quarterback. But he has an NFL, he has NFL arm talent, and he has NFL acumen. Does he have NFL athleticism? Does he have NFL durability? Remains to be seen. But JT Daniels is like the suspension on a BMW. The offense just handles better when he he's he produces the ultimate drives. But unfortunately, like a BMW, he's kind of been in the shop a lot the first half of this season. Well, let's not slander BMW here. Well, I had an M3, and I got to tell you, once you drive an M3, man, you just there's there's just nothing else like it. It's not very practical, but uh, I still think about that car. If y'all mention the brand one more time, I might have to send them an invoice. Y'all see, I'll just be <laughs> this is against my religion to give so much free advertising to uh, to one sponsor. They pay Jeff to drive his, I think. Don't you get paid but, for uh, that? Don't uh, but Jeff, to build off the point that Mike is making, listen. I have no idea if JT Daniels is the best quarterback in the country. As it stands right now, I actually don't know who the best quarterback in the country is. I have no idea. But here's what I do feel like I know with confidence. Daniels is clearly across the threshold of what good enough is. You know, it's like lately in college football, you've need, needed a, a great quarterback to win the national championship. And does Daniels stand above all the rest of this competition in the country when he's healthy? Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe there's somebody else that's going to emerge over the course the remainder of the season that becomes the clear best quarterback in the country. I, I don't quite know that, but I do know this. Daniels is just good enough. There is a threshold of what good enough to win is uh, in college football, and I believe that Daniels clearly surpasses that You know, somewhat difficult to distinguish bar. I think he clearly surpasses that. So when healthy, no matter where he ranks, I think he ranks as strong enough for Georgia to put this team on its back. Let me let Jeff jump in, Connor. You can get in after that. Roll your eyes. Um, Maybe some ombudsman-type work here. Honorable mentions for the last category, Cedric Von Granger. Total offense is totally different with him in the middle if he is not stabilizing. Jamari Sawyer also hasn't even given up a sack all season already in his Georgia career. Two guys there. I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a kind of pushback on this point. I don't think Georgia is championship material unless they get JT and they get a number one receiver functioning type guy. Is that Brock Bowers? Is that Jermaine Burton? Is that somebody else? I think for Georgia to get to where it wants to go and win the last ball game, win the 15th ball game as the last ball game, I think it's not just JT. I think it's JT having an all-SEC type receiver. You put that synergy together and you really got something. To Mike's point, um, we will also say about that German auto manufacturer that shall not be named that uh, once that dude goes into shop, you don't get it back for a few weeks. And that's really indicative of Mike's point right there. Uh, once that thing goes into shop, it's going to take a couple of weeks to get to it. Connor, my man, I yield the floor to you. So we obviously we know JT has an injury history. He's missed two games this season. For the 15 games that he's been at and eligible to play for Georgia, he's only played in seven of them due to injury. 
And let's let's bring the magic wand back out here. I give you a chance, and let's just do one word answers. So I want to get through a couple of quarterbacks here. You can you can swap JT and put him on any team, and you get that quarterback back. Would you rather have JT Daniels as currently constituted or Spencer Spencer Rattler? I'll take JT right now. Mike, Mike. JT. JT is not close. Rattler's not a leader, not a character Jeff. guy. Uh, J, JT. Uh, DJ Uyunglele or JT Daniels? I'll take JT. Yeah, DJ's still throwing in the middle of the night at Clemson trying to find his touch. He's a different guy this year than he was last year. Jeff? Yeah, I'll take JT. Uh, you should have given me Cable Williams with the Spencer Rattler comp- competition, though. should have gave me that one. I'd be talking to you one. a bit longer. I'll give you CJ Stroud or JT Daniels. I mean, I think Stroud's getting better. I think he's getting better, but it's still JT for me. Yeah. You, you, we, what, what's missing in this? the context of this is what Kirby said about how JT has raised the bar in the room. JT Daniels has made Stetson Bennett a better quarterback. He's made Carson Beck a better quarterback. He's made Brock Vandegrift. He's made receivers study plays, go out to California, spend free time. He's helped change the identity and the level of buy-in and on that offense. He, he's a he's a key cog. He's one of those leaders. It's like like the point you guys were making about Jordan Davis earlier. Okay. He's not on the field a whole bunch of snaps. So forget the Heisman talk because he doesn't even play half the game, much less both sides of the ball. But he's got a certain presence and a certain leadership that affects those around him. And that's that to me is greatness in athletes. Not just are you great, but can you make others around you great? And, and I see Jordan Davis doing that with his presence. And I think JT's done that on the offensive side of the ball. All right, let's Connor, you, you got Matt Corral for us with that one-word answer as well. Yeah, I didn't say that here because I, I don't think this panel is quite so high on Matt Corral. You know, I like Corral as a player. Mike mentioned the leadership stuff a moment ago. I, I don't know what kind of leader Corral is. It also could be unfair. Maybe I'm judging him from things that happened a very long time ago. Um, but as a player, I obviously like him. He's a he's he's a pretty dynamic player. But I, I think that I haven't seen enough from Corral to say that I would take him over JT necessarily. I mean, I would, I would point out, you know, sure, they're working at a talent advantage, disadvantage there, but it was 35 to nothing in that game. And, I, like, at some point, if Matt Corral is as good as a lot of people think we yeah. think he is, and, and to his credit this year, he's the best quarterback in the SEC right now, in part because JT Daniels hasn't played. But you can't fall down 35 to nothing if you're that mm-hmm. good of a quarterback. But Corral, I guess the point is, Corral is the only name that got mentioned that would even caused me to think. I, I think that Stroud's getting better for Ohio State, but – like, I'm not happy with Rattler right now. I don't like Uwe Ungle, what I've seen from him really at all. Corral is the one name that at least, you know, kind of gets me thinking about it, at least a little bit, because I do think he has the extra dimension with his legs, which obviously can be really tough. But let's put a pin in this conversation right now. We'll come back to quarterbacks before we're done here on Cover 4 Live. Happy to have Mike Griffith and Jeff Sintel and Connor Riley. My name is Brandon Adams. Happy to have all your comments there as well. We'll certainly read those as we go throughout the show. So one of the things I've mentioned on Dog Nation Daily a little bit this week is that you know, there's a superstitious part of me that feels like you have to consider what could go wrong to kind of take the power out of that. And if you at least talk about it, then at that point in time, maybe it's less likely to come through, which is, as I said before, kind of a dumb superstition. But, but I do sort of think that way. And there's also this, I think, general consensus. I know we'll make our official picks tomorrow as a part of Go With The Flow presented by R.S. Sanders. But there's this general consensus that Georgia's in really good shape going to Auburn on Saturday. So – thought it was appropriate to kind of at least spend a couple of minutes on the other side of that coin for a moment. Mike, if something goes wrong against Auburn, and let's not even say that Georgia loses, because I think a lot would have to go wrong for Georgia to lose. 
But if the game is still tight and close in the fourth quarter, as it was the last time that Georgia was there in 2019, what goes wrong for this to be a close game late? Motion penalties. You know, Florida had, uh, I want to say, seven of them uh, on third down and fourth down against Kentucky. The noise factor. Uh, Auburn makes a play early, gets momentum. You know, the last time Georgia was there, Jake Fromm made an incredible throw uh, to Dominic Blaylock, took the top off. And uh, Jake put Georgia up 7-0 and, and just quieted the crowd. I mean, it was one of, you know, I don't, I don't you know, it was, it was just, it was a great play by Jake. And, uh, you know, but what if, what if things go wrong early? What if there's a, a Stetson interception or Kiaris, you know, messes up a punt return or, or uh, you know, something as Van Pran, you know, Cedric Van Pran snaps the ball over somebody's head, like, you know, Trey Hill. I mean, Trey Hill's in the NFL and, you know, he, he fell all over himself in the first road game last year, and there wasn't even noise at Arkansas. So, you know, how much is the noise going to affect? To me, that's what could go wrong, just like it did for Arkansas when the Sanford Stadium, that campus crowd just can't stress it enough. You know, Arkansas with two penalties before they can even get going. Georgia's driven for seven, and they're first and 20 in the shadows of their goalposts because of that crowd. And, you know, JT hasn't – been in a crowd. He played in front of 100,000 at Texas as a freshman at USC. Um, that was a couple years ago. He played at Notre Dame as a freshman, but that's a couple years ago. Stetson hasn't played in front of a crowd like this. So to me, what could go wrong is that the crowd could create some distraction if Auburn gives them anything to be excited about. I see people are, they don't like the bad juju. So it kind of going with your point here, Brandon, I'm going to share a secret with you guys. In fantasy football, you always have to congratulate the other team for winning in the first half of the one o'clock game, regardless of the score. It's it's the reverse jinx. You always Smart. prematurely congratulate the Smart. other guy for winning. It always Smart. works. Smart. So here's one of my theories. I don't think there's anything a team can do to prepare for noise. I don't care how loud you turn up the speakers. And I always like the stuff that teams do to try to emulate noise during practice. I was at games last year. I'm telling you this. Fake noise doesn't do anything. Like, you can make it loud. You can make it seem like noise. But it's just obvious it's fake. There is something about, as Mike said a moment ago, when the Georgia crowd crescendos last week because of a moment, when it's rising to meet the occasion before a play, and when a quarterback knows that if he makes a mistake, that crowd's going to get even louder, there is nothing that can be done to replicate that, which means that no matter how hard Georgia's working this week, there is just something about real humans making real noise that cannot be emulated no matter how much white noise you turn up during practice. It's just not capable of being duplicated. So I am a little curious to see if Georgia handles its first hostile test on Saturday different than Florida handles it handled its last week Commonwealth Stadium in Kroger Field. Uh, I'm imagining that Georgia will handle it better. They've at least been in the half house of you know Charlotte before the uh, you know, week one of the season. But you can't replicate noise in practice. A real crowd is just a different living kind of thing. And as Kirby Smart pointed out this week, you know, traditionally this is probably the first road game for, he estimated 25% of your roster with last year being a COVID issue. It's 50% of your roster this year that hasn't played in an environment like this. So like Mike's point on on a fast start from Auburn could, could ratchet this thing up. But I, I think the biggest thing is, and while the noise I think is certainly going to affect the offense, not sure how it impacts the defense there. And the only real way I, I see Georgia getting in trouble in this game 
is if Stetson Bennett throws three-plus interceptions and thus gives Auburn a couple of short fields because I, I just – Look, Bo Nix, I, 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 was, I owe him an apology. He was fantastic against LSU last week, came out, especially coming out after getting benched. For him to perform as well as he did last week ago was, was very impressive in my eyes. But he's not going to run around like he did against this Georgia defense with Adam Anderson, with Nolan Smith, with Channing Tindall chasing after him. And, and I really struggle to see how this Auburn team, with the issues that they've had on offense this year, especially against Georgia State where they needed a block punt to really turn momentum in that game, and then the LSU game as well, where they fell behind 13 nothing early in that game. I, I struggle to see how Auburn is going to score consistently in this game. So if it, the only real way is if Georgia is – losing a field position battle, which they have not done this season so far, and thus giving Auburn some short fields there. Alan McGovern says emulating noise is not a play and proper hand signal silent counts will work along with a novel concept. Of, and I, the comment went away before it's the rest of it. Here's my thing about noise, though. It's not just the practical issue of communicating with your teammates. The thing that can't be replicated is how the noise makes you feel. It is a thing that makes you feel a certain kind of way. And it was not the same thing last year. Being in the stadiums, you didn't have that same vibe. I don't expect Georgia to be overwhelmed by it because these are guys, for the most part, have been playing you know big games their whole life. Even if it wasn't as big as the stages they're going to be on the rest of this season, they're, they're just used to being you know in, in an intense football environment, even if it's different than what they're going to see on Saturday. But noise and the real noise made by a real loud, hostile crowd, it just makes you feel different. I've been in these stadiums once, once the crowd comes alive, including Auburn in 2019. Once it gets going, all of a sudden the entirety of the game felt different. When the Auburn crowd made such a big you know, ruckus back in 2017, it, it just seemed like George was facing 15 guys in the field because of how impactful the crowd was. If Kirby said the Georgia crowd gave – uh, Georgia 10 points last week. That Auburn crowd in 2017, they may have given them uh, 10 points there as well. It's one of the loudest opposing stadiums I've ever been in for UGA. So I, I, I do take that uh, pretty seriously. And, Jeff, the other thing I take pretty seriously is, as Connor and Mike have both mentioned, I, there's a lot about JT Daniels that I – excuse me, a lot about Stetson Bennett that I really like. I think Bennett's fun to watch. I think he's made some big throws in his Georgia career. But he's not always the most careful quarterback with the football turnovers at the wrong time on Saturday makes this a closer game. The flip side of that is you can't be probably as conservative against Auburn as you were against Arkansas because it's different kind of defensive personnel, but you do have to be careful how you use Bennett on Saturday. I, I believe that's a way in which this game could be made tighter if Bennett makes the mistake. Yeah, I think I'm going to take uh, Connor's functional uh, maybe show entertainment device here and flip his logic around. Who's, who would rather have Bo Nix or, or Stetson Bennett starting this game for their team on Saturday? I think I'd rather take Stetson Bennett. That's really all you need to say. We're sitting here going through the, the rigor rigmarole about, you know, how it happens. And, folks, I, I got my creative mind on on fleek right now trying to figure out a way that Auburn wins this game. Maybe maybe Kay Ivey stops the bus at the state line and they don't let, they don't let the Georgia Bulldogs come through. I don't think I mean, people say on fleek anymore. I don't think they no, do. It's uh, yeah, sorry. Um, well, that's the last time Auburn had a hostile crowd, too. It was way back in 2019 as well. But, um, I mean, I, I mean, what can you say Auburn gets a little bit of run game? You say Georgia turns the ball over a little bit. Can you say that they get a special teams touchdown? I, I mean, I think some people in our comment section have gotten it right. Defense does – defense travels, man. Defense doesn't wilt with crowd noise. And if it's loud, it's certainly going to affect Auburn and what they're trying to do as well. I mean, I know they'll quiet down for Auburn, but – I mean, it's almost like, you know, surely 
surely there's a there's a David here for Georgia's Goliath right now, but I, 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 if Auburn's having really trouble running the ball, they don't have take Bigsby together. Now I know Auburn ran it a little bit, but that was LSU and they and Georgia State teams like this, Alabama State, I believe. All these, I mean, we're all going to try and be very down the line, straight and objective here, but. Um, I think we're just trying to get some air uh, burnt on this show when we're thinking about reasons why Auburn can really, really take down Georgia right now. Here's the scenario, um, and there it is right there. What if Stetson's your quarterback and he gets hit and you have to put Carson Beck in there? I mean, Carson struggled to get the snap off. Uh, was that at Vanderbilt where he couldn't get it off inside the 10? He, he came in late and he, there were like three motion penalties inside the 10. What about the scenario where JT isn't cleared to play and Stetson Bennett gets injured in the first quarter and you've got to throw Carson Beck out there? I think that could change the complexion of the game. Oh, yeah. I mean, 57 carries for Georgia. That, that's can you run the ball like. in Auburn that effectively? I'm not sure. Auburn's got a decent run defense. Arkansas? That is one good thing they can do. I mean, I do think – I think Arkansas is a better team than Auburn, but I think the Auburn defense personnel, especially up front, is probably better – than what Auburn brings to the table. And obviously injuries kind of change all of this. Uh, that would be, you know, obviously a disastrous thing. But, Mike, here's the one thing that I sort of thought Arkansas would do last week, and they kind of didn't. And I kind of wonder, well, does Auburn try to do this? And maybe they won't do it either. But if I'm playing Georgia right now, I know I'm not going to, like, nibble four and five yards at a time. I'm just not going to do it. So, to me, the thing that, I, as a fan, I kind of live in fear of, well, do they just try to max protect a few times – take four deep strikes, hit one of them, and all of a sudden, well, it was a 14-point game, gets turned into a seven-point game, and now you're in a situation where a mistake is more magnified. You know, that's the thing. It's like the, the problem with offense compared to defense college football is you can fail nine times out of ten, but if that tenth play is an explosive, then all of a sudden your actual success offensively seems more substantial than that. That's like the one thing I keep wondering about. Uh, for one of these opposing offenses facing Georgia, do they concede the fact they're not going to move it with regularity? They're not going to be efficient. And do they just spend their time time trying to to go for explosives when they see the opportunity to do that? Because in a tough environment, um, with a backup quarterback playing against you, Auburn striking for a big play at any point in time does have the potential, I believe, of narrowing this football game. It, it yeah, but does, but the, the problem with that is what happened against Florida last year when – Georgia's up 21-14 at the 12-and-a-half-minute mark of the second quarter, and Florida scores 24 points in the next 12 minutes because Georgia goes three and out on four out of five series. And, and if you're throwing the ball and it's incomplete and it's stopping the clock and you're three and out, you're not giving your defense any time to rest. And, and part of what Georgia does, uh, this offense, you know, even though we think about Munkin being an explosive mind, and with JT I think he is, with Stetson, these guys really eat up the clock and they really wear your defense out. And so I think that's why there is, you know, and also if you just throw the ball incomplete, incomplete, you're third and 10. And, you know, now you just want to keep your quarterback alive. You, you got to try to stay ahead of the chains, uh, you know, so that you can put that defense in a run pass conflict. Because if you are ahead of the change and it is second and five or it is third and four, now the defense has to guess. And this is, as Munkin told us, a couple of years ago, run past conflict, that's what creates those big plays. So to your point, I absolutely agree. I was also surprised we didn't see any shot plays, but I think Arkansas was just behind the chains all day long. Connor, you had a comment. Yeah. Sorry. Connor, go ahead. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, in each of Georgia's games, uh, in Auburn's last three games this year, they've trailed by double digits at points in each of those games. And I think that's a recipe for disaster, especially the LSU game and the Georgia State game. They were trailing by double digits early in the first half there. So if this Auburn team is going to keep it close, they're going to need to start fast, something they haven't done at really any point during since they started playing real teams because Akron is maybe the worst team in the FBS and Alabama State, ironically, is one of the worst teams in the FCS. So you throw those two games out, and this is a an Auburn team that falls behind. And granted, they come back and made it up in the second half of those Georgia State and LSU games. But those defenses aren't this Georgia one, where if you're behind and you are forced even to be more one-dimensional than you already are because you're struggling to run the ball, I, that's going to make things very unpleasant, especially for an Auburn team that does not have very good wide receivers. I, I you know, I'm interested to see what Demetrius Robertson does, but even with the injuries, Demetrius Robertson is still probably a little farther behind the depth chart, behind guys like Adonai Mitchell, obviously Jermaine Burton as well there. So for him to be Auburn's really best receiving option at the moment right now, I think shows that at a position where they might try and take advantage of Georgia's lone real weakness, and I don't even know if we can call it a weakness at this point, the secondary, it's just a question mark. They don't have the horses to really take advantage of that. Yeah, I think that's the kind of the result of this thought experiment is it's very, very difficult to make a – convincing case for how Auburn keeps this closed. They may win a few more games this season at some point in time. Uh, they certainly surprised me last Saturday winning at LSU. But, boy, it's hard to, to make the case for Auburn against Georgia in this particular spot on Saturday. With that in mind, let's keep it talking about Auburn going here for a moment. And, obviously, things have changed a lot for Georgia against Auburn. There was a time when Jeff Sintel would come on Dog Nation Daily, and we were talking UGA recruiting, and – a lot of the names we might talk about were battles between Georgia and Auburn. And for someone like me, you felt like if Georgia beat Auburn for a recruit, that was as big a win as you could conceivably get. All of a sudden now, I, I can't really think of, you know, certainly not very many. There's a couple that come to mind, but not very many instances where Georgia and Auburn even battle each other in, in recruiting anymore. Auburn just recruiting, a, for the most part, a, a caliber of player beneath what, what Georgia's bringing in. Georgia's obviously had – Great success on the field against Auburn, the 2017 game we mentioned a moment ago, notwithstanding. Jeff, it kind of leads you to wonder, you know, knowing the history between these two programs, the way it feels so different now, I mean, how much of a rivalry do you still view Georgia-Auburn to be at this point? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I think uh, I'm not writing a game story this weekend, but what is it, 10 out of 12? Georgia's won 10 out of the last 12 or 9 out of the last 11 against Auburn, I think. You have to go back to 2017, and that that might be the only time Auburn won in that decade. Uh, maybe they got two, maybe they got the um, Nick Marshall game there as well. But um, I mean, Brandon, you know, you think about it, and they're not even recruiting in the same circles anymore. I mean, Georgia's in the Clemson, Ohio State, uh, Alabama circle, and uh, Auburn's kind of there with Arkansas now. Uh, More. They're they're kind of there where you know if you see if you see like right now if you see Florida and you see uh, Auburn going after a play or North Carolina, those are kind of guys on even ground in terms of the recruiting world in terms of who they could pull. Maybe there's a better position fit here or there. Uh, LSU's recruited a lot better than Auburn. I mean, you, I mean Auburn's reached the point, guys, where they're not recruiting better than Alabama. This is in their own conference. They're not recruiting better than Alabama. They're not recruiting better than Texas A&M. And this is even in their West Division. They're not recruiting better than LSU. 
Um, that's probably why they finish fourth or fifth every year because they're recruiting fourth or fifth every year in the SEC West. At the end of um, Malzahn's era, they were really only recruiting within a 50-mile radius of their campus. I mean, that's, you, can, you can kind of plot point where their recruits are coming from. The geographic area they were recruiting from the end of Malzahn era, they were recruiting like driving distance from campus, and that was really about it. And that's really, I would say, for an Auburn fan, pretty alarming. Yeah, because they don't get the good guys in, Al- in Alabama because the state of Alabama, those kids go to Alabama, uh, the very few that are there. Uh, and then maybe, you know, maybe I remember the name Zacchaeus Walker. That was a guy that Georgia really liked, and he's a guy that will probably, I hear, be very healthy for Georgia on Saturday. But, um, you know, Owen Papo, Georgia wanted him to play a, a star role, and Alabama and Auburn wanted him to be an inside linebacker, outside linebacker. Uh Different different ways to view that and guy. Credit, he's turned out to be a good player there when healthy. He's maybe not healthy yeah. for this Saturday, but when he's been healthy, he's turned out to be a good player. Yeah, Owen's a really special athlete. I think maybe he'll he'll end up with like a Jabril Peppers type career in the NFL. I think with the Browns because that's what he can do very well. Um, and, and that that's the I kind of I, I, you know I'll, I'll I'll be transparent. One of the things we were talking about in terms of what would be a good show topic for this week is I wanted to know like I wanted to know what. At what point does this no longer become a rivalry between Georgia and Auburn? I know everybody's going to say it's the Deep South's oldest, but if we look at the track record, and I guess I guess Georgia fans still have a little bit more uneasiness going into the Auburn game than the Georgia Tech game. But, folks, some of that's similar. If you look at the last 15 games these two teams have played, Auburn and Georgia Tech have probably had about the most amount of success uh, against the Bulldogs, and that, that's really a stark reality for – those that love to live and root for the loveliest village on the plain. But uh, I I just wonder, I think that's a very valid question. I mean, let's say Georgia beats the brakes off Auburn on Saturday and it's 25, 35 points, or maybe it's 27 to 10, like some fella in this panel thought it was going to be. At at what point does this no longer feel like a rivalry anymore? Connor, what do you think? Two two points there off off what, what Jeff was saying. Auburn is last in recruiting right now. And obviously National Signing Day isn't tomorrow. But Auburn is last in the SEC in recruiting right now. They're behind even a Vanderbilt program. Uh, So I I think that shows the difficulty that I think that Brian Harson is having there at Auburn in terms of convincing players to buy into his vision. And he's going to need to win early to sell that. And as B.A. pointed out, the end of the Malzahn era, you want to look at one of the big indictments there. I think they really undercut him at the knees in terms of being able to go out and recruit with the big boys and get the players because they're not getting Derek Browns or Owen Popose anymore in those last two cycles. Since 2006, Auburn has beaten Georgia three times. Mm-hmm. I know Mike doesn't consider Georgia Tech a rivalry worth playing anymore. Do you know how many times Georgia Tech in that same span has beaten Georgia? Oh, eight. Uh, Brandon knows him. He's got he's got scars. 16, 16 three, times. Three? three times. Three times. Yeah, yeah. Tennessee, which some people consider a rivalry. You know, there may not be the same history there as Auburn and Georgia Tech, but it's certainly a competitive game since two thousand. I think eight. Do you know how many times uh, Tennessee has beaten Georgia? Oh nine, sixteen, 16. And uh, three and times. Yeah. Three times. That's sort of the state of the Georgia-Auburn rivalry right now. Two programs there, you know, might not be considered rivals by universally or seen on a certain same level as every Georgia fan. That's sort of the state of the competitiveness in this rivalry at the moment. And, Mike, what's funny about this is, so Connor just kind of ran through Auburn's futility against Georgia, but that's not the case against Alabama. They beat them three times in the Malzahn era, 13, 17, and 19. So you can make a case – 
The thing that got Malzahn fired was his record against Georgia, more so than obviously there's a championship gap between Auburn and Alabama, but the futility against uh, Georgia may have been the most frustrating thing for Auburn boosters when it came to Malzahn. Some of the things he said rubbed him the wrong way too. So I think, you know, obviously Harson's not saying much right now, but he has to know this is a huge game for him. He has to know that there are people that follow the SEC very closely saying, wow, is Georgia Auburn even really that much of a rival anymore? He has to know that the previous guy, you know, uh, uh, is no longer here because of his record against Georgia. I mean, I mean, that's got to be in Harson's mind, don't you think? You know, Brandon, I'll tell you something right here. Okay, go, Jay. Uh, you know, Harson's really got to think about that. I mean, this is his chance to really create some street cred for his program. Um, he's had fired wide receivers coach. He's got a chance against Georgia. I think if he fares well against Georgia, it will erase the memory of his fan base. Uh, against Georgia State. Now, farewell means 14-point loss, mm-hmm. score some points or whatever. This is the stark reality. Now, Connor, props to you on the stats, but I, I, I kind of back-pocketed one stat here for this whole Auburn-Georgia rivalry discussion. Folks, do you know if you go back to 2011, 2011, um, there are two instances where Auburn has scored more than 14 points against Georgia defense. Wow. Just two. Just two. Now think about that for a second. And Brian Harson's challenge here this weekend, Mike Bobo's challenge here this weekend. Folks, those defenses that Georgia brought to bear against Auburn were nothing like this one. Yeah. Nothing like this one. They were good to very, very good to pretty stinking good. They weren't that elite word. That's not what we're seeing right now. And, again, I mean, there's a lot of zeros. There's a lot of sevens. There's a lot of sixes. There's a lot of thirteens. There's only two times. Now, they got 40 in both those cases. That was one of those with 2017. The other one, I think, goes back to uh, shootout and everything else. But when you're an Auburn program and you can look at Georgia and you can say only two times dating back in the last 10 years, if we scored more than two touchdowns against this team that we're supposed to be in the Deep South's oldest with, I think that's a problem for that program. Mike, jump in on this. What do you think about the current state of the Georgia-Auburn rivalry as a guy that's followed the SEC for a long time? I mean, the proximity of the schools um... – the fact there's a lot of Georgia kids in the Auburn program, you know, it, it's the South Carolina Georgia rivalry, the Tennessee Georgia rivalry, the, you know, uh, to me, Alabama's more of a rival, honestly, just because they've become a hurdle and, and, you know, you faced them often in the SEC championship game. I mean, what defines a rivalry anymore to me now that we've gone to this college football playoff, I don't think rivalries are nearly as important. I think it's about the playoff. Now, this is a playoff sport. Decisions need to be made to help your team make the playoffs. You know, rivalries are nice. Marching bands are nice. Uh, but the rivalry has kind of gone by the wayside in many cases um, because the focus is on making the college football playoff. I mean, and, and Kirby Smart will tell you that. You know, that, you know Kirby – you know, he doesn't want to talk about the other team. It's about Georgia. It's not about Auburn. It's not about getting up for a rival. It's not that this game's any more special. And it's kind of sad because I will say, reflecting back on covering Michigan State, one of the fun things was they had a countdown clock to the Michigan game in their building. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Mark D'Antonio made no secret about it that that was the game of the year for the Spartans. And and it was kind of fun. It was neat. And, and it, you saw the performance. They dominated Harbaugh. Kirby Smart, though, he's not playing for for um, robbery wins. He's playing for national championship, and Auburn's just the next speed bump. No, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I think that Smart's behavior over the course of his time at UGA 
would lead you to believe that games like Auburn and Florida do mean more to him than other games. And he's not going to say that, obviously, but actions speak louder than words. And I think Smart's actions will lead you to believe that 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 these games do matter to him a lot. And I, I can say in the part of the fans that I hear from is that even though there's reasons both in terms of the past, how much Georgia's won, and in terms of the future, Georgia's obviously playing for a lot more than just winning the Deep South's oldest rivalry. There are reasons to say, oh, this game may feel less than it used to. The fact of the matter is, there's still a ton of emotion on the part of UGA fans about this game. And Oh, I'm not saying fans. Well, no, I'm, I'm not saying this generally. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm just saying this generally. Yeah, the fans, the fans are a whole different, you know, social media. That's a whole different conversation. But for the players – they're they're locked in and and they feel like they need to bring their best every week, whether it's South Carolina, Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, Florida, you know, and, and to an extent, that's what you want. You you don't want a team that's so emotionally up. You know, I think part of what bit Arkansas was coming off that emotional high of, of win over AM. I think it's hard when you come off an emotional high to to be good the next week. And and I think it could be tough for Auburn, frankly, coming off that win in Baton Rouge. Connor, let me say one thing, and I'll let you jump in here. This is a bigger game than next week against Kentucky. Kentucky's undefeated. Kentucky may beat LSU next Saturday, this upcoming Saturday. It's going to be 3.30 on CBS. Kentucky's going to be a higher-rated team than Auburn probably is, uh, almost for certain. Georgia-Auburn is still a bigger game than Georgia-Kentucky, and Kentucky's undefeated. Connor, go ahead. Uh, I would say so Jerome Carter sort of brought this point up and I know it was something you and Mike were, were touching on earlier. I'll be interested to see if Kirby is as vindictive against this Auburn team as he was against Gus Malzahn because yeah. I, I sort of believe Kirby's maybe not necessarily vindictive against institutions. I think Florida's maybe a separate situation there just given it's Georgia, Florida. I know he didn't like Gus Malzahn one yeah. bit. I know he also doesn't like Dan Mullen one bit. So it happens to work there with Georgia, Florida. I think there's an indifference with Brian Harson when it comes to Kirby Smart. And I would point out that the two coordinators that Brian Harson hired, Derek Mason, who Kirby Smart has spoke glowingly about in recent years, and Mike Bobo, who for all, for all the back and forth they have in the media with each other, they're still good buddies and good friends. And so, uh, you know, is there going to be the willingness to sort of rub it in this Saturday, given Bobo, given Derek Mason on that sideline? I don't know about that. Now, if Gus Malzahn were still there, absolutely, without a doubt. But – with the guys that they have as coordinators and Kirby knowing them as well as they do, I'm, I'm not quite so sure that's what we'll see on Saturday. Yeah, I got to push back on the Kentucky. You realize that's the de facto SEC East Division Championship game. Totally realize the, the facts would suggest otherwise, but I'm telling you, Georgia-Auburn is a bigger game. Watch Kirby Smart. Watch the way that he celebrates after he beats Auburn on Saturday. This may not be the most logical take. I'm not saying this is logical. Logic is on your side. I'm telling you that Georgia will celebrate more by beating Auburn on Saturday than they'll celebrate by beating a highly rated Kentucky team. Because here's the other thing that Georgia can't say. They don't have a lick of respect for Kentucky. Now, they'll talk all next week about how much respect they do, but these two teams also squared off the SEC East in 2018 there as well. And Georgia went into their state and beat them 37-10. There's not a lick of respect for Kentucky in that building, whereas there's probably some remnants of that still left over from Auburn, even if it is from a bygone era. This is just a bigger game, even though logic would dictate otherwise. Yeah, I don't know. Kentucky was pretty physical and took a lot of guys out last year. A lot of guys got injured. Uh, Jordan Davis may have a score to settle against Kentucky. Well, that's a different point all the way around. By the way, uh, I think it was Jerry Swafford that brought this up. Uh, Connor Riley has predicted a shutout on Saturday 
Uh, Jeff, what do you think about Connor calling for the uh, calling for the goose egg, calling for the bagel on the planes on Saturday? Man, that's a Connor's call. We could shoot, we could create a, a Instagram graphic right there. Connor's call. Connor's call out. Um, let me get the marketing folks on that. That worked pretty well. I don't think they're going to score a lot of points. Like, I think I said, I'm going to underscore if you guys just joined us. I said this a minute ago. An Auburn team that has, has struggled to score two touchdowns against Georgia defenses over the last 10 years is now facing the best Georgia defense of the last 40, 50 years at least. And that's not, not, not a very good thing for the play caller there for the Tigers. I, I'll push Matt back. Oakland, by the way, says Connor's correct. I, I'll push back. I'm sorry. If you put this Georgia defense in like 1976 or against a great Georgia defense from the 60s and 70s, this Georgia defense is doing more diabolical things to offenses. Of course. Of course. Well, so I, of course. I think this is pretty clearly, even era adjusted, the best Georgia defense we've seen in, in, in probably program history. And I know people don't want to say, oh, you're jinxing it or, or it's, it's poison because I'm not using the R, the R word here anymore. I hate that word. I'm trying to get, I'm trying my best to get it out of the college football vernacular. But if I'm going to poison, I'm going to use poison here. This is the best Georgia defense in program history. So let me ask you this: If the part of me wants to get greedy here, if you're willing to call for a shutout prior to this game, Florida hasn't been shut out since 1987, and Georgia almost got one in 2017, and the backups gave up the touchdown late, and the whole sideline lost its mind because they're about to shut out Florida for the first time that anybody shut them out since '87. Can you get me a shutout against these Gators in two weeks? I can't. As of right now, I can't quite go that far. I, I still like what Florida did against Alabama there, the way they were able to run the ball in that game. You know, maybe Anthony Richardson comes in and gives this team a spark in the passing game. Does he? I'm not sure because it's not like he was he was throwing the ball all over the place. It was really what he was doing with his legs there. But a, a shutout, I, I'm not quite there yet. Let's see how they get through Kentucky. As Mike mentioned, that Kentucky team was physical. Took some Georgia guys out last year. Let's see where they are there, and I'll, I'll readjust there. By the way, my buddy Edgar Thompson of the Orlando Sentinel, did he report Anthony Richardson might transfer? Is that what he said? No, that was a Mike Bianchi column. Oh, it's just, just openly speculating. That, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here for I'm, that. Hey, you know, we're we do the same thing. We don't know if Carson Beck's going to be around after this season. I mean, it's where, you know, the number two quarterback, or I guess I, at least we thought Beck was the number two. I don't know. Kirby was uh, might still guess, be the number two. <laughs> it just... I guess Stetson was number one that week, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we we don't we don't know. But I mean, this is the you know this is what the transfer portal has brought us. Is college football does have free agency. We have to wonder who's going to be around next year. All right, let's talk quarterbacks here in a minute, Jeff. Give me one final point. We'll let you, we'll talk quarterbacks after that. I like Connor's game here. We get the merry-go-round going around here. So let's let's do this, gentlemen. I give you twenty-four points. And you can say over or under, that's the amount of points Georgia will give up over the next two weeks. Over or under? under. While we're going with the best defensive under. program history. Yeah. Under. The Arkansas team Georgia saw last week is a better offensive team than, than Kentucky has right now. Yeah, I think that's probably true. For, for all the talk of like the, the Sean McVay offense there in Lexington, it's actually not quite unfolding quite that way right now. You know, Levis has had some some okay moments and then some, you know, maybe not quite so okay moments. It's not quite unfolding the way that it was necessarily supposed to. Now, if Levis concocts some truly disgusting food thing, you know, he, he's eating bananas with the peel, he's putting okay. mayo in coffee, wherever his devious mind goes next, you know, maybe that changes the perspective a little bit where he's, he's using – some devil magic there to, to concoct some more points and pull out a win there. But this Kentucky offense is worse than the Arkansas one that Georgia held to zero points at home last week. Yeah, it's funny. It's like Kentucky's 5-0, and and they got the huge marquee win against Florida. But their 4-0 and was actually not that impressive. The win against Missouri is a little bit of a hard-fought game. Missouri's turned out to be terrible. Uh, they scratched and clawed against Chattanooga. 
it's kind of a weird 4-0 that only looked okay, and now you got the big win against Florida and everybody's riding high. But, I mean, I got the receipts of what people were saying before last Saturday. It actually wasn't that complimentary of Kentucky, which goes to show you how quickly things can change in the world of college football. All right, let's talk Georgia quarterbacks here for a moment. Mike brought it up. So you've got JT Daniels. We don't know when he's playing again. We don't know how healthy he's going to be for the rest of the season. We've got Stetson Bennett likely inserted here on Saturday. Uh, last year, he was incredible uh, against Auburn, and you kind of wonder if he's able to kind of, you know, replicate that once again. And you also have, you know, some younger backup quarterbacks you really haven't seen much of there at all. Let's just start big picture and see where this goes. I mean, uh, Mike, what do you make of the Georgia quarterback situation here right now? Wow. You know, it's tough. It's interesting, um, you know, with JT just every week – questionable right I mean this injury is is uh, fluid it's a fluid situation I, I didn't think that that was going to be the case this season I didn't think we'd be going you know week to week and I, I didn't think Stetson Bennett would be the number two I, I thought Carson Beck was clearly defined as the number two quarterback I thought he won that position in the spring Kirby Smart told everybody he was the number two and now we're five games in, and I don't even know, you know, he did, they didn't put him in a game up 37-0 to zero over Arkansas in the fourth quarter. That That's probably the biggest indictment on Carson Beck was that there was no interest on getting him any snaps against Arkansas that was decided. So I've got real questions about his future. Um, I, I've got questions, you know, the what if. I mean, does JT come back next year? Does Stetson come back next year? Both of them, neither. Could George end up with a transfer coming in at quarterback if if Beck leaves? I mean, there's it's uh you know I'm gonna go back to Kirby Smart's uh, acronym BA and uh, and say win. What's important now? And uh, we can speculate, but right now in that locker room, as long as these guys are undefeated, this this team's gonna stay on a rail. Well, I agree with Mike on this, uh, Jeff. And from the context of what's important now, what Carson Beck is or isn't doing couldn't matter to me any less than it does. And I say that with respect because I think he's obviously an interesting prospect. But playing in the end of a blowout, playing in, you know, whenever, I just simply don't care about that one way or another. Uh, I want to see Georgia try to win a national championship right now, which means it's about getting JT Daniels healthy. It's about making sure that Stenson Bennett is effective um, in the event that Daniels can't play. And that's really all that's important to me right now. I can't have a 2022 quarterback derby ongoing when I'm trying to win a national championship in, in 2021. I, I, I just can't do it. And, you know, to act like it's some sort of like, like slapping the face to Carson Beck that he's not currently playing at all right now. There are a lot of really good football players who have waited a lot longer than Carson Beck has for their, for their chance to play. I mean, I couldn't look Channing Tendall in the eye and say, boy, isn't it a shame that Carson Beck's not playing right now when Tendall waited as long as he did for the chance to do what he's doing right now for the Georgia defense. Let's keep some perspective in all of this because what's important now are the veteran players you have. Daniels, when he's healthy, the clear starter. Bennett, lucky enough to have a backup who's won an SEC play. And the the, the Carson backs of the world, they can figure it out, you know, once all this is done. But barring injury, the, this season belongs to Bennett and, and Daniels. And I don't have any problem saying that, even though I'm obviously optimistic about what Carson's future can be. 
Yeah, I think you got to look, Brandon, I, I like that point you made there about Channing Tindall, by the way. If I could give you some points on the clicker, I would give you that one, uh, Brandon. But uh, I think Mac, Mac Jones is another guy to look at right there. Look how, how, how long that dude waited and look how it worked out. Here's one thing I'll say about Carson. Uh, Carson has the universal respect of his team, his teammates. He's well-loved on that. He's well-loved by the staff. He's well-loved by the guys on the team. And um, he looks very invested in the team. Like I've, I've noticed down on the field at times when he's warming up, he'll go by and he'll, he'll, he'll you know, slap the back of the defensive line group when they're getting ready. He'll, he'll go and drift on to other position groups. He'll keep other guys up. He'll stay plugged into the game. Um, you got to remember – Carson Beck has a whole lot of tools. And I think the, the the whole what's important now thing, what really strikes a chord in my, in my mind is Georgia fans should know what they went through the last two years. It was Jake Fromm and no one else in 2019. And then last year it was Dewan Mathis, and then it was Stetson Bennett, and then it was no longer Dewan Mathis, and Jamie Newman never played, and JT Daniels wasn't ready. You cannot have a championship-caliber team and not have two dudes that can make the machine do what it do at all times. Everybody's like, Georgia's being greedy. They're going to run quarterbacks off. Fine, because you know what? What Georgia's doing with, with Gunner and Brock and Carson and JT and maybe Arch Manning and maybe this next guy down in 2024 that's always going to get everybody's skirts blown up when they hear his name and the next guy that comes in, Georgia's got to make sure that they owe it to the other championship pieces of its roster that, you know, if QB1 goes down, QB2 can fly the jet. And it's not just on autopilot either, uh, according to Mike, Mike Griffith's vernacular. you got to have two or three dudes that can make it do what it do. And I think Georgia has that now. And, you know, next year, next year, Stetson will probably be back, folks. Next year, JT has to have a great season this year where he can trampoline himself to the NFL. Otherwise, Georgia's going to have a quarterback logjam again. But main point, quarterback logjam. Log, log Guys, portaling is so much better than a quarterback deficit when you're trying to win all these ball games. Million percent, Connor. Go ahead. Yeah. So to Mike, your the a question that you brought up, based on what you've seen, I think you know your answer. I know your answer on this. I'm just curious. What we've seen, Stetson Bennett deserves to be the quarter number two quarterback, and that's the guy starting on Saturday, correct? Based on just what we've seen in games. Based on the way he performed and based on how bad Carson Beck performed, absolutely. In the game. Yeah, and, and- you know, I'll play the hypothetical game. Let's say JT comes back next year, and let's do you know to take it to take a Mike Collum idea. Let's do stock up, stock down. I do think if JT comes back next year, it's a stock down for Carson Beck because what that does is it gives Gunnar Stockton more time, it gives Brock Vandergriff more time to where Beck no longer has the 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 offensive knowledge advantage over those guys because they'll have their sea legs under them, and then it comes into just. Hey, is this guy able to make the throws or not? And I think right now Carson Beck has an edge there over Brock Vandergriff as he gets acclimated to the college lifestyle, which is something a lot of freshman quarterbacks do and go through. Brock Brock Vandergriff's probably at worst a neutral. I mean, you get another year to get ready. You you know you learn from JT. You have JT and Stetson, who it'll certainly be their last years in terms of eligibility next year. I think Stetson comes back no matter what. Um, so it's a net neutral there. And then Gunnar Stockton, a, people, a lot of people seem to like. Certainly they liked him when he was committed to South Carolina as well there. You know, that, that's a win for him because it totally allows him, sort of like Brock this year, to ease into the college game, uh, make the adjustments from high school to college, and then sort of when JT leaves, you are on better footing with probably Brock and, and – Bro- it'll be Brock and – uh, Gunner in 2023 and maybe a freshman quarterback, maybe it's Arch Manning, maybe it's somebody else. But I, I think at a certain point in time there, you know, JT Daniels coming back next year 
it's still a really good thing for this offense when he's healthy. If he's coming back to be healthy for a whole year and, and work and show that off, I think that's a great thing, especially when you look at what Georgia is set to lose on the defensive side of the ball. If they bring back JT Daniels. They bring back, say, Cedric Von Perron and get a healthy Tate Ratledge. There's two young tackles there. They bring back Kendall, and Kenny, uh, Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh. The wide receivers get another year and hopefully can find a way to stay healthy there. That offense is still going to be really, really good if JT Daniels comes back next year. So I get and understand where the hand-wringing over the Brock, Gunner, logjam, Carson Beck, throw him in there. But JT Daniels coming back next year, I don't think would be a bad thing at all for this Georgia program. Maybe not for the 2021 season, but for 2022, certainly. Here's the presumption I'm making, and uh, certainly I get in trouble when I make too many presumptions, but it's not like a lat injury is a knee injury where it's this dark cloud that hangs over you forever until you prove that you're over it. That's, I think, what Daniels faced coming back for 2021. He needed to show people that he had that mobility. But I don't think there's going to be a lot of poking and prodding, at least I'm assuming, on the part of NFL medical staffs about, ooh, how is that lat injury? Because I think people assume that if he ever has a chance to rest for a few weeks, you know, it, it might go away. I, I guess I still am of the belief, Mike, that the circumstances would have to be extraordinary for Daniels return in 2022. And listen, there's still 10 more games to go of this season, but to me, it still seems like an overwhelming likelihood that Daniels just won't return. This is a class of 2018 guy, a guy, his contemporaries, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, they're both going to start in the NFL. Um, you know, this, you know, the, the, this weekend, at a certain point in time, you know, I hate to say it this way, it's almost like your biological clock just starts ticking of maybe I need to be in, in the NFL, whether you're a first-round pick or not. At least that's the assumption I'm making, which admittedly could end up not being correct. Well, there's a few factors that have changed over the years. One is the NIL. I mean, JT is already probably making a quarter of a million dollars easily in NIL money, and it could go to a half a million. He could become a Heisman Trophy front runner if he came back for another year and stayed healthy. Um, and he just may want the experience. You know, JT won a high school national championship. And I think he came to Georgia to win a national championship. I'm, I, I haven't gotten in his mind. I, I can't speak for him. But, you know, Peyton Manning could have left after his junior year at Tennessee. And he came back, you know, because he wanted to play more football at the college level. It's, you know, for some players, it is all about getting to the league. But now that the NIL money is around, you know, let's weigh this, you know. If you get drafted, as Jake Fromm shown us, if you get drafted in the fifth round, you're not being drafted to be the starting quarterback. Mm -hmm. And if you're JT Daniels and there's a chance you slide into the third or the fourth round, and if you look at the quarterback ratings in the draft right now, he's not even in the top ten per Kuiper. I, I think JT would probably be around four or five. Now, would you come out to be a second or a third round pick, or do you want to come back to Georgia and maybe work with you know, a more developed – Jermaine Burton, a better Adani Mitchell. Darnell Washington will be back. Brock Bowers will be back. You'll have a more seasoned offensive line. Does Todd Munkin come back? The only way I see JT leaving this year um, for sure is if they win a national championship. If they don't, there's going to be some doubt in my mind. To tie it back – Go ahead. To tie, just let me interject real quick here. To tie it back to our discussion earlier – if JT is the MVP of Georgia's next, I guess, what, 10 games, uh, he's gone. Mm -hmm. Because if that is the case, then Georgia's probably just won a national title. Yeah, you're, you're, I think you're right about that. It blows my mind to think about this. And, Connor, you said something similar to this earlier. If you don't count the Vanderbilt game, because really JT barely played in that game, it was barely even a football game as it was. I mean, 
he's only played like seven games in the last two and a half years. And while that's bad for Georgia, they're currently missing their starting quarterback. That's got to be massively disappointing for him. Like his college career is not really turning out to be what I'm sure he imagined to be. And there's still plenty of time to change all that. And I still believe there's a very good chance it does change. But think about this, not from the perspective of the Georgia program for a moment. Think about this from the perspective of JT. That's a long time to go without playing football. I mean, it's a knee rehab, even more difficult because there's a psychological toll that a knee rehab, I, I think, takes on you. And, and maybe that frustration is compounded right now. My gosh, that's a long time to go without playing football. I can only imagine how frustrating it must be for him personally because, you know, players want to play. Well, now I, you just made a point here and I got to jump in. So, you know, I wanted to push back earlier and Kirby brought this up a few years ago. The difference between a Channing Tindell is he can play special teams. He can contribute in other ways, but quarterback is unique. And like, you know, like a punter, if you're not playing quarterback, you're not playing special teams. You're not playing somewhere else. Stetson Bennett with the recent disclosure, we haven't talked about it, but, you know, Steady Stett talked about he considered leaving Georgia. He, he nearly left Georgia last summer because, as he said, Brandon, you only have a certain window of time when you yeah. can play. And that's, that's why I'm not sure if JT comes back, if Stead comes back. He may want to go and, and you know, lead another program uh, somewhere else. I mean, heck, D- Demetrius Robertson's on his third program. So, you know, why not? But, but the point is, you know, there's a window for these guys. And, and that's why I think, you know, JT may want to come back for another season um, if he's not able to uh, win a national championship. And Stetson Bennett uh, could be back again. Because I think Stetson Bennett will probably, um, you know, be a football coach. I, I, and, a, and a really good one, too, by the way. He's, as I've said, he's the SEC's version of Rudy. And it's a much better version than the Notre Dame story. Much, much better. Um, Jeff, final thought on this topic before we get ready to wrap things up? Uh, yeah, just I'm just wrapping my brain around this. So Stetson Bennett is kind of like the Georgia Dog Nation family's Benjamin Button. And what I mean by this is people will look at this and they can say, hold on a second. Connor, I see that 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 face, I Mike. I, get, you I got you. Plane. I just want to see you land this plane here. <laughs> so he could be the guy that that somehow is timeless and immortal. What I mean by that is he could play with Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle and Jake Fromm, and then he could wind up playing with guys like Brock Vandegrift, uh, Branson <laughs> Robinson. I mean, let's think about that for a second. This is guy that will bridge like all these eras. It's very easy to say he was on the same team with Roquan, and he could be on the same team with. Um, you know, Branson Robinson. And that's Gunner crazy. Johnson. We're talking about 2017 all the way down to 2022. That is phenomenal. Okay, so if you do like to do another cultural reference, if you do like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing here where you say, and I think Julian Rochester's gotten him beat, but if you stay, if you say Stetson Bennett played with a guy who played with a guy, um, like you could do, you could do within two degrees of separation, you could do some very interesting uh, comparisons there. Jeff, I, Jeff, I love you, but I don't think you know what happened in Benjamin Button. He, he didn't live forever. He dies at the end of the movie. Benjamin Button is not a guy who's born old and ages backwards. Correct, but he's a guy that hangs around forever and ever. I, I, I'm Brad Pitt starts off, grows young. I know that. I got that. But, I mean, he's a guy that – I mean, I guess I should say Captain America, the guy that, got, the guy that ends up – hibernated and thaws out after after 40 years but but 
Stetson Bennett could throw. Remember, Stetson Bennett was – we've heard this from Mel Tucker. He was the GOAT in uh, scout team. How many times have we heard this? But he threw touchdown passes to Javon Wims, and he could wind up throwing touchdown passes. That's it. To- He's going to Michigan State. He's going to transfer to State, Jeff. You just called it. Mel Tucker's going to pull him up there. Uh, there's no Dick Ferguson's deal the, in, uh, in East Lansing, Michigan. There, there. Everything about the uh, bandwagon graphic that uh, Michael Carvel, our producer, <laughs> apparently made is I love how he's gone Army Ranger style on the Georgia flag, <laughs> blowing in the opposite direction. Um, <laughs> I got to have a lot of respect for the Army Ranger style Georgia flag there, uh, going in the opposite direction as it gets blown in the wind. I do. Have to I think of the Oregon Trail when I see this graphic. That's what I think of. I don't think of. I don't think of the. Please don't tell me Mike's going to die of dysentery. That'd be a. That'd be a terrible thing. <laughs> don't fjord the river, Mike. Just go around it. <laughs> all right, let's do some comments. Get out of here. Um, all right, uh, uh, Wade Walford says uh, Stetson Bennett for president. I'll tell you this. I think that Stetson's DGD status is long since secured. You let him have another uh, banger performance against Auburn on Saturday. I think this is a DGD all the way around, and that's kind of an unofficial designation. But I got a, I got no problem with that uh, uh, whatsoever. Uh, Stephen Nett said, "Give us a wrestling holler." Uh, I had somebody a minute ago say, "Don't make any wrestling references." So uh, wrestling has apparently become controversial in the uh, in, in the comment section uh, there. But uh, anybody want to dispute the idea that Stetson Bennett's DGD? Uh, no, um, all the way around. Kirby talked about guys who who just do their role and then relish doing their role. Stetson falls in the ladder there. He has absolutely owned the role and done everything that has been asked of him. If you want to hold that he couldn't beat Alabama or Florida against him, I I get that. A lot of other really good Georgia quarterbacks haven't been able to do the same in the past you know fifteen years. So if if that's the standard you're going to hold Stetson to, I think that's a little unfair. But everything that he has been asked to do for this program, the sacrifices that he's been asked to make, he has done that more and more and time and time again. Plus, I care how teammates feel about their quarterbacks. And it's very obvious that uh, a lot of those Georgia players really like Stetson Bennett a, a lot. Um, uh, HR picking stuff, uh, checking in about the uh, – one of the things that I think helps JT on the, like the NIL front is he does have that distinctive look, right? You know, in the future, in the NFL game, the – the college game NIL stuff right now, that distinctive look certainly helps him there for sure. I liked uh, it when Stetson, when they asked Stetson Bennett if there was any team they couldn't beat, and he said maybe the 49ers. I, I, he really does have a nice presence. Him and JT, those two press conferences, he, they're better than Kirby. They're, they're yeah, better than Kirby. JT can do a better press conference after the game than Kirby. Yeah, so listen, um, uh, I say this in a complimentary way. Stetson's a cocky dude. Like Stetson is not Rudy Rudiger. At least that's not what he thinks of himself. He's a cocky dude. By the way, Genesis Anderson also brought up uh, Julian Rochester as kind of an extra coach for that defensive line, which I think kind of a good way to say that. So Rochester came here in 2015. Was that his first year? 2015? Huh? 2016. He was Kirby's 2016. So, so Rochester would have played with somebody who would have played with Aaron Murray, right? Like, like we're talking about, you know, yeah. you can go deep into the past in terms of, uh, 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 I mean, like, like if you do that, you know, degrees of separation. Julian Rochester is certainly a, uh, an example of that. I've got a question for you, BA. And All right, since go ahead. we're on the Stetson bandwagon, which current Georgia player is most likely to eventually be the Georgia head coach one day? Who's the Kirby Smart on the team right now? Oh, that's a good question. I Man, I can see Bennett coaching. I don't know if he's coaching at Georgia, um, but I could see him coaching. Um, I don't know that I have a great answer for that necessarily, Jeff. I got one. Let me hear Jeff. See if Jeff can come up with the same guy I got. Mm. 
Hmm. I'd probably go differently. I, I think a young man like uh, I, I think a young man that's kind of like I, I think Jamari could be a great coach for the University of Georgia. I really do. I think he checks all the boxes. Um, you know, leader of men, of course, he'd have to start out as a, as an often offensive line coach or whatever, but I think Jamar is going to play about 10 years in the NFL, hopefully for his, uh, lifelong favorite, uh, Dallas Cowboys. But, uh, the only other guy I would go to is I think it's a name that nobody would know. Uh, and I think that's John Staten. That's the, uh, transfer linebacker from Sanford. Uh, he really transferred. He was basically a, an all conference player at Sanford university in Birmingham, uh, he's way down that depth chart. He really transferred to Georgia as a graduate transfer to just get his foot in the door to be a college coach. Paul Moon um, mentions Nicobe Dean, by the way, which I think is a good name there too. Nicobe's going to make too much money. He he won't he don't want to get in the coach. Mike, oh, yeah. oh, great, Connor. I I'm going to go similar to Nicobe Dean. I'm going to go Channing Tindall. That guy's got a great personality. He does. I liked, loves this Georgia program. Stuck it out. I think he's going to be a good NFL player. I don't know if he can be a great NFL player. And I think someone who I think relates to people really well, is super personable, has a lot of traits that I think are yeah. attractive in a college coach. And I think one day, you know, maybe he could come back here and be the head coach of the university. I'd put him up there as amongst the, maybe the best interview subject of the Kirby Smart era. I think Channing Tennell's got a wonderful personality. Here's, here's my guy. So undersized guy, got one of the last remaining scholarships, not much expected, has contributed right away. Lad, is that who you're thinking? Lad McConkey had a chance to go to Army West Point, had a chance to go to Vandy, like Kirby. You know, he is the offensive version of the young Kirby. Only I think he walks a much straighter line than Kirby did. I Jermaine think, thinks that right. Jackson Muschamp's the right answer here. That's oh, good. wow. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's actually pretty good. Pretty good. I, got a micro, I got a micro topic. Um, how in the world does this Georgia defense play better over the next 10 games? Where do they get better? Jeff, listen to the, listen to the Kirby press conference. Yeah, but Kirby, <laughs> deep down, Kirby knows. Because Kirby backtracking this a little bit, he knows the turnovers can't be forced. Kirby reads enough of math. The, the numbers aren't going to stay this good because part of what's happened for Georgia, and this is a great defense, but a lot of what's happened is a byproduct of the schedule. Clemson's not Clemson, all right? We found that out. This isn't 20, certainly isn't Trevor Lawrence Clemson. It's not even last year's Clemson. They don't have a first-round running back. Their offensive line has gotten worse, and, you know, DJ forgot how to throw the ball. Uh, you played Arkansas the week after they beat A&M, and your home crowd basically took their heads off before they could even get started. You played a really poorly coached UAB team. You played a rebuilding South Carolina team that still hits you for four plays longer than 35 yards. Uh you know, I'm not ready to pop the champagne bottle on this being the best defense yet. It's the best defensive front that I've seen in a long time. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be an offense that's going to be good enough to expose that secondary. But other than Lewis seen, I don't think we're going to see anybody with a chance to be in the pro ball in the NFL. So I think a lot of this is the byproduct of the schedule to this point. Um, we'll, we'll find out more against Auburn. We'll find out a lot against Florida. Florida can really run the ball, guys. They can really run the ball. I don't think they can beat Georgia, but the Gators can really run the ball. That's legit. But in fairness, I mean, the Arkansas offensive numbers had been really good before the Georgia game, and they were – Well, they had been, but their quarterback is a running quarterback who was limited, who'd missed practice times, and who couldn't hear the snap count and operated on first and 20. I mean, they were they, – they were, I mean, they were – they never really had a chance. I mean, the crowd in the defensive front, um, 
you know, I, I again, I don't know. We talk about how good our Arkansas is. Can you name any of their offensive linemen? I can't. You know, I, you know, I'm just saying, I they haven't really. And, and to be fair, I don't know who really could challenge them because I've said this all year. Offenses are down. This is nothing like last year where you had Trask and Mac Jones. Uh, I mean, those guys were legit, right? Florida quarterback play isn't that good. Alabama quarterback play, they got a freshman running around back there. Tennessee had half their five stars transfer out, although maybe they'll be the best offense, you know, Georgia sees the rest of the season. I don't know. But uh, I, I just, I don't, I think offensive play is down. And I think defensive play is up because remember, this defense last year statistically was dominant. They were in the top 10 in every category. They got lit up for over 500 yards by Alabama and Florida. I don't see offenses like last year's Alabama and Florida out there this year. All right, we've Mike, gone Mike I will buy you a year's worth of green tea if there is only one pro bowler on that Georgia defense. No, no, I will in, the buy secondary, you. in the secondary. Not the oh. front set. The front seven has Hall of Famers. The secondary, Lewis Seen – DK is not going to be big enough to start in the NFL. Keely Ringo, we'll see. He's still learning. Amir Speed, you know, journeyman player. Um, Jalen Kimbers had shoulder surgery, so I'm not going to count him. And Chris Smith, probably too small. I think Seen's the only NFL starter in your secondary right now. Ooh. Starter, starter, not player, starter. Ah. Uh. We'll see. You, you, you need to. You need to. You need to wait. I guess we're not counting guys like David well, Daniel. And by the time the show ends, these guys will be halfway through their NFL careers, yeah. so uh, we'll be able to settle this argument there. <laughs> Javon Bullard, Kamari Lasseter, you, Mike, you're shortchanging a lot of those guys on the uh, starting second there. I'm just. I'm just going with the starters, Jeff. I mean, I, Tyke Smith hasn't played yet. I think he could be. Don't even let Mike and Jeff text each other about this. <laughs> Jeff's mad at me still. He he carries a grudge. All right, we got to go for now. It's late. Um, hey, to everybody who's here, thanks for being here. I thought this was a fun show to do tonight. Uh, good stuff all the way around. I am so excited about being on the Plains on Saturday. Uh, looking forward to a fun one between Georgia and Auburn. Of course, we'll talk more about it. Dog Nation Day tomorrow. Also, massive recruiting update tomorrow. Uh, big stuff from Jeff on Luther Burden and Mikhail Williams and some of the big, big names from our Stewart, some of the big, big names who have had recent ties to Georgia made stronger seemingly. So we'll do a lot of that and get you ready for the dogs and the Tigers. Mike Griffiths got you covered on everything as well over the weekend. Connor Riley, much the same way. Uh, Jermaine King says two more hours. <laughs> we were a couple of minutes away from hitting the two-hour mark, it feels like. Uh, but nonetheless, appreciate all of you being here tonight. Enjoy your Thursday. Get ready for a big one on the weekend. Need you elite wherever you're watching the game from, on your couch, sports bar, wherever you are. If you're lucky enough to be heading over to – uh, the Plains. Remember, uh, you know, kind of go west until you smell it. Go south till you step in it. Then you'll be in Auburn. <laughs> um, uh, but nonetheless, uh, enjoy the game. We'll see you back here next week. Cover for life. We'll